Good morning, everybody. It's great to see your amazing, beautiful faces again. So many of you are sitting exactly where you were last time I saw you. Good to know you've kept your seat. Go ahead and pull out your Bibles, something to take notes with. Open up to Ephesians 4. I am going to preach this morning. Like Ron said, we're going to do a kind of a how was sabbatical podcast discussion later because uh, it's like, what do you preach when you come back from sabbatical for three months? So I'm just going to do all I know to do, which is open up the Bible and preach to you. And I figure, why not start a new series this Sunday? First one back. Like, why delay? It's been a while. I was supposed to be here at church last week and then got drilled with some sickness all week. So that was a lame first week back, spending it in bed. Wasn't sick all of sabbatical and uh, got sick last week. So that was frustrating. But I am happy to be back. It is really good to be in the house of God with other believers. I, I went to church, a different church, uh, one time in the last 14 weeks. So it is good to be in a room full of people singing the name of Jesus. It's uh, really special. Um, are you opening up your Bibles? Y'all still do that around here? <laughs> you guys like, I don't know what they've been doing, talk, hopefully talking about the Bible while I was gone. Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning. And over the next few weeks, what, what I'm excited to come back and preach to you in these next few weeks is a series that we're, it's pretty simple. We're just calling it We the Church. We the Church, a declaration of who are we the church. And uh, we all have different experiences and opinions and preferences and personalities and ideas and all of that. But what we want to do for the next few weeks, I think we're going to do five or six maybe. I'm a little rusty on laying it all out. So five or six. I want to talk about the Bible. What does the Bible teach us about? Who are we the church? Who are we the church? Before we get into that, I, uh, I just, I, I do, I've been reading some of the uh, New Testament. I, did, I read my Bible while I was gone. I hope you read yours. But I was reading so many of the New Testament letters, uh, the, the writer starts just overflowing with thankfulness for who he's writing to. And I just want to say, I am so thankful for you. I'm so thankful to be a part of this church. Um, I want to just say a few things as we get started. First of all, I am so proud of and thankful for our other pastors here at this church. Jordan, Chris, and Sam have just done an incredible job. And they've all grown. They've all matured into the gifts that God has called them to. They've matured in their roles here and in their calling. And that's good news for all of us. And uh, I'm just so proud of you guys. Thank you so much. I, I could say the same thing for our staff the staff of this church is incredible, and each one of them has grown in the love for the Lord, grown in their ability to do the things that they've been delegated to do. I, th I think of Acts 6 when I think about our staff and pray for our staff. In Acts chapter 6, the church is growing, and the, the apostles, the pastors are kind of saying, hey, we can't do all of the activities that are required to facilitate all this. We've got to dedicate ourselves to the ministry of the word and to prayer. And so he, he says, we need to find people full of the Holy Spirit, of good reputation, and of wisdom, so that we can delegate these things that really need to happen to these faithful people. And that's who the staff is of this church, full of the Holy Spirit, people of good reputation, full of wisdom. And it says the gospel multiplied greatly because God raised up people who could be trusted. And this staff is just incredible, and I'm so thankful for them. 
I'm so thankful to every man who preached this summer and stood up here and faithfully fed you the word of God. What an amazing gift to go, I think, what was it, 14 weeks and only have men from this house stand up and preach. I think that is awesome. And we didn't have to call in the reserves from somewhere else, but God has given us so many faithful people to preach the word, and I hope you were fed this summer. I've listened to uh, many of the sermons, and I'm just so proud of those guys. Thank you guys. Well done. You did a good job. Thank you so much. And lastly, I just want to say I'm so thankful for you. I read so many of the letters, and Paul just gushes at the beginning, just says, as I, I just remember you as I pray for you and the faith that you have, that you've had from the beginning in the gospel. It is such an honor to run after Jesus with you, to pursue him and his kingdom alongside of you. Your faith encourages me. It's an honor and a joy to pray for you, and it's so exciting to be back. So I love you, and I am excited for the future that we get to keep running after Jesus together. So we are starting a series, We the Church, and I want you to go ahead and stand as we do for the reading of the Word of God. That's enough about me and what I have to say. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to read a few verses here. Would you follow along with me, starting in verse 1? I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I've already preached out of these verses this year, so we're coming back to them. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You are our one Lord this morning. And I pray over my brothers and sisters grace and peace from the Father and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be um, moving as I share your word this morning. I pray that every one of us would have hungry hearts ready to receive the seed of the word of God. We anticipate hearing from you being shaped by you and shaped into you, Lord. And we just we pray over these next few weeks that you would uh, clarify for us who are we, the church, we want to be the church according to you, not ourselves. And so we are here to be taught, to learn, to be uh, encouraged, rebuked, trained, all of the things that we might be your disciples. We love you, Holy Spirit, and I thank you for the opportunity to be back together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, as I, as I come back to you uh, from sabbatical, I've got nothing new for you. No new word, no new revelation, no new gospel. So you don't have to stone me or something. I got nothing new for you. I got nothing new for you. No new vision, no new programs or activities. I am just more fired up than ever to live for Jesus and his church. More than ever, I believe in Jesus. I believe in his church. And this series is going to be about looking to Jesus, looking to the word of God and asking him to reveal to us in his word who we are as his church. And, and then it's going to be me coming alongside that and urging you to walk in a manner worthy of what it is that God's called you to as his church. 
Like I said, I've already preached on this passage back in February, so we're just sticking with it. That could be the honorary first part of this series. But who are we, the church? What are we, the church? The word that they use in theology for this is ecclesiology. Ecclesiology, the, the theology, theology as applied to the nature of church. What, what, what is the church? Like I said, we've all got ideas. We have preferences. We have experiences. We have concepts in our minds of, of what church is, what we want church to be. And, and those things are real and they, they matter. There's a place for those things. But as Christians, we have a responsibility to make sure that underneath all of that, we have a strong theology of church. Meaning like from the Bible, that the Bible, we believe the church is what the Bible teaches us that the church is. Not just our ideas and preferences and concepts and experiences, but what does God tell us? What does his word tell us about who are we? What are we, the church? So each week we're going to be focusing on one truth that the Bible teaches us about Jesus' church. They're not in some order of hierarchy. Uh, we're just, you got to do one at a time. Can only do so much at once. So we're going to do one truth a week, and you can write this one at the top of your page. This is what this week is about. We the church, his possession. His possession. We're talking about this morning that we are his possession. That's who we are, the church. The English word church is derived, and those of you who are interested in writing words in different languages down, you'll be pleased to turn your attention to the screen here in a second. The English word church is derived through the German word from Greek, the Greek word kariakon, kariakon, I don't know how to say it, and uh, it means belonging to the Lord. Now, whatever it means that an English word is derived through German from Greek, I don't know, but I read it in one of David Campbell's books, so you know it's true. <laughs> English word through German from Greek. Yeah, do the math on that one. But the point is that the word church, it means in itself belonging to the Lord. This is not, this is not your church, Antioch Indy, or just the church as a whole. This is not your church. It's Jesus's church. This is not my church because I'm the pastor of it. This is Jesus's church. Now, of course, it, it is your church in the sense that you're part of this church, but you belong to Christ, not in the sense that this church belongs to you. It is my church in the sense that I am responsible to oversee it in submission to Christ, but it's not mine in the sense that it's mine, that it belongs to me. The church is, however you say it, Kariah Khan, I'll say the church, we, are, we are his possession. We belong to him. The Bible says this in so many different ways, and I'm just going to give you a few. In Acts 20, 28, when the leaders of the church are being exhorted, it says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. John 21, 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to them, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. So Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. 
He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. John 10, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in also, and they will also listen to my voice. So there will be one flock. And what is implied is that belongs to one shepherd. 1 Corinthians 6, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Galatians 2, 19, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Lastly, Matthew 16, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We are his possession. Ephesians 4 puts it that there is one body, one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all, we are the church. We are his possession. And as such, we must urge one another. Urge one another on to live and walk in a manner worthy of being called his possession. Throughout church history... Different communities who have aimed to live as his possession have had different ways of expressing that, sort of different, maybe you could call them codes, or what has been, what the phrase that has been historically used is the idea of a rule of life. It's kind of an old phrase, mainly it was kind of a monastic word, the different orders of monks, they would have a rule of life. If you were an Augustinian monk, this was kind of the rule of life that that, that meant. Or if you were a Thomist monk, you did this. Or all the different orders of monks, they had a rule of life. It's, it's an old school word. I think it's kind of having a comeback. I feel like I, I've started to hear people talk about this. 
We want a rule of life. And, and that makes sense that we want a rule of life because um, we are made for structure. We are made for order. We are made to be parented. As people, we are made to be parented as the children of God. And how many of you know good parents have boundaries and, and structure? Freedom is best experienced in boundaries. And we live in a world and in a postmodern culture that's been telling us for a long time, forget the boundaries, man. And after a while, just like kids, when you don't have boundaries for a while, you kind of start freaking out. Exhibit A, everything. <laughs> and it is the cry, it is a cry in our heart. I need a rule to live by. I, I need something here. I have to have boundaries. I need to know what my spot is and how do I do this. And if we are going to be people who live as his possession, we need to have a rule of life. A rule of life that, that guides us and, and get put structure and outlines for us. What are the values and practices that we have as a community, as individuals and on a whole, that, that we are committed to in order to live out this calling of being his possession? It can sound big and heavy, like, oh, the rule of, of life, monks and stuff, you know, like, not, don't want to go that far, we don't want to totally do the whole like burlap sacks things, you know. But, but rule of life, we need to hear it for what it is. It is empowering and it is freeing. That's what the whole point is. A rule of life isn't, isn't a test that you have to pass to become a Christian and, and is therefore heavy in that way. It's just a practical lifestyle that you live because you're a Christian. And in order to then actually live as a Christian... Like, because to live as a Christian, you have to actually live as a Christian, right? So this is what Christians say. They say, well, we're Christians, and Christians do these things, so we're going to do those things because we're Christians. This is what we do as a community. And we have a rule of life here at Antioch. We have a rule of life that helps us orient around living as Jesus' possession. And we're, we're trying to live as his possession in a world and a culture that is constantly pulling us away from him. If you've been around for any time at all, you've heard this rule of life. Like I said, I have nothing new for you. We just haven't called it a rule of life before. And so now I'm going to use the word rule of life to make it sound new and fancy, <laughs> even though it's old and dusty. We haven't called it a rule of life before. We just call it, we've always called them our values. These are our five values. But what it is, is it's a rule of life. This is the rule of life for us. These are the practices that as a community we are committed to in order to help us live as his church, to live as his possession. Some of you have heard what I'm about to spend the rest of our time talking about. Some of you have heard it like 10 times before. Some of you might be about to hear it for the first time. And if you've heard it a bunch of times before, I'm, I'm genuinely sorry that I'm not sorry. I'm really not. I, I, I came back from sabbatical more stuck in the mud than I was when I left on these things. This is who we are. This is what we do. These, I am fired up to urge you forward in these five practices so that you would be an individual and that we might be a community who is his church, his possession. So if you've been new in the last few months and we haven't met yet, it's great to meet you. And if you're wondering what Antioch is all about, here's what we do. This is what we do. This is where we're going. This is who we are. We are here. We exist to preach the gospel of the kingdom and make others great. 
And we do it through these, this rule of life. And I want to call you to it. I want to call you to it and urge you forward. Urge you forward that you might live this life as the possession of God. First, as God's possession, our first rule of life is personal devotion. Personal devotion. You will not live as Christ's possession. You will not live in a manner worthy of your calling if you are not consistently cultivating a lifestyle of personal devotion. If you do not personally know the Lord and what he says, then you will not do what he says, which is to say, in his words, you will not love him and you will not know him. John 14, 15 says, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. John 15, he says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. We are here. Antioch Indy is here. We, we come into this room. We do these things together. We, we call ourselves Christians because we are here to be disciples of Jesus. And we're here to do it together. That, that's, that's what we're here for, like as full on as we can, and we're trying to grow in it. We are here to be disciples of Jesus, to love him with our whole heart, our whole mind, our whole soul, and all of our strength. That's what we're called to. That's what we're aiming for. That's what we're going to encourage each other into. That's what we're calling each other into. That's what we're each growing up into. That's what we're all here to mature up into. That and only that and all of that, which leads us to our second rule of life, making disciples. Making disciples. Matthew 28, Jesus says this. Jesus came to them and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Make disciples. In the past, as we've talked about this, as I've talked about it from stage or in our values course or family dinner or all the various ways that we talk about it, our conversation around making disciples is largely, uh, is largely circled around a specific activity, this activity of making disciples, like kind of you meeting with another person or two and talking about following Jesus. And that can be useful, that's, that's accurate, that's a great thing to do, that is, that is a way of investing in people's lives to help them follow Jesus. And if you do that in your life, if you're somebody who, who meets with other people to help them follow Jesus, what I'm trying to say is if someone has asked you to disciple them, then I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of that calling. Be careful not to just teach them your own opinions or your own personality or your own experience. Do not make them a disciple of you. Make them a disciple of Jesus. If you are somebody who has asked someone or wants to ask someone to disciple you, I urge you, walk in a manner worthy of that calling. Let them call you to Jesus. Challenge you to Jesus. Orient yourself around Jesus. If what you want is just to hang out and become friends with that person, call it that. That's a great thing. But if you want someone to help you grow as a disciple of Jesus, then prepare yourself to grow as a disciple of Jesus. 
So that's all amazing, and, I, and I'm so for it. But the thrust of the point that I want to urge you towards this morning is that this, this, this rule, this goal, this value of making disciples, it's the purpose behind all that we do. It's not just an activity that we do when we meet for coffee. It's not just something you do. This is what we do. This is our rule of life. As as his disciples, this is our mindset. This is what sets the tone for what we do in our lives and don't do in our lives and how we do those things. This is what we are oriented around. This is a value that, that pulses through the life that we live. The overarching aim of our life is to be a disciple of Jesus and make disciples of Jesus. That's what we're on the earth to do. Our explicit aim as a church is that he is the whole point and the main thing. All the time in everything. And we're all here to help everybody else with that. So the rest of the values that we talk about are really all opportunities to live out this value. So that brings us to our, our third rule of life here at Antioch as we live out as his possession. Life group. We define life group. If you've been in church, this would fit in the small group category. But what, what, what is it? How do we define it? We define life group as a group of people meeting together to grow as disciples of Jesus. It's not just you. It's a group. And it's not just being together. It's we're here to grow as disciples of Jesus. Life group isn't just a small group for the sake of relationship. It is that, but it's not just that. For us, there are four things that are foundational to life group that we get from Acts 2.42. These are things we're committed to to help us understand, are we, are we, living, this, are we living out this rule of life? And these things are in Acts 2.42. They've also been shown through church history in every place and in every age to be central to the lifestyle of disciples of Jesus. Communities that have lived as the possession of God have always done these four things. Number one, we're dedicated to the apostles' teaching. We devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, meaning the word of God. You can't talk about the whole Bible every time at Life Group, so you've got to narrow it down to something. So at our life groups, we discuss, we, we have discussion time, and so you should come and you should be ready to talk and, and engage, and we discuss what it is that we're being taught from the pulpit on Sundays. And it's not because we're trying to do sermon recaps, and it's always awkward for me when I lead discussion in life group. So it's kind of actually more awkward for me to do it this way. But this is what we do, because we believe that we are a, a unified body, that God speaks to us as, as one body on Sunday mornings through his word. And we want to be unified together as we digest what it is that God is speaking to us. We want to come in full of faith to receive the word of God and then go out and, and fellowship with one another and communicate and digest what is it that God is saying to us, his church. And how do, how do we respond to this? How do I respond to this? And how will this lead me in a lifestyle of doing the word of God and not just hearing it? Number one, we're devoted to the apostles' teaching. Number two, the breaking of bread. And that should get an amen every time, but it rarely does. We eat together. We believe it's good. 
and it's of God to eat together. Now, every life group can do this differently and does do this def- differently. Sometimes they have dinner together, all that kind of thing. So, so there's, there's dinner together because we all know it's just like God ingrained it in humans for us to bond together over food. And I'm glad he did it that way. Anybody else? I mean, there we go. Okay, you're allowed to celebrate food in church. So that's like just a good, normal thing to do. And, and it's of God. We eat together. It's bonding, and so we like that. But breaking of bread also speaks to taking communion together. We regularly, as life groups, in life groups, just like we do when we gather together on Sunday mornings, we take communion together. We partake of the body and the blood of Jesus together. We do it for all the reasons that the Bible teaches us to do it. Jesus said, do this as often as you do, which is kind of confusing. And I just tell you that to mean like, every time you do it, do it. <laughs> so it's like, we should do this. He says, remember me. And, and I know that you are living in a world that is hell bent on distracting you from Jesus. And we need to rem- help each other remember him. We need to remind each other of Jesus. The Bible encourages us to search our hearts like Chris led us this morning. When we take communion, don't take it in vain. Don't consume the very body and blood of Jesus if you're going to hold on to sin in your heart or division from your brother. You want to talk about how we be a unified church? Let's take communion together for real. You want to talk about how how do I have a broken and contrite heart before God? Be weighty in the fact that you're about to eat his blood and his body. Oh Lord, purify me as you enter into my body. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Lead me into repentance. I don't want to hold on to anything that's not of you. If I'm going to actually consume you. You fill me with the Holy Spirit as this food, more than this food and drink fills my body. We take communion together. Life group isn't just people getting together. It is disciples getting together to remember Jesus. The third thing we do is we pray. Prayer. Again, we want to be devoted to prayer. Just like all of this, this can vary a lot in in execution, but it is right and needed that we are a people who pray together. I'd just say I am shocked at how many people I've met who have been in church for decades who you sit down and pray with them and they say, no one's ever done that before. Like, I'm pretty sure we're the people on earth who are supposed to pray. Right. <laughs> We've got to do this. We, you might pray together every week at Life Group. You may pray for each other throughout the week and do your group text thing and all those kinds of stuff. You may come to our corporate prayer times together or worship nights. There's a, the options are endless as far as this expression goes, but we are dedicated to be a people of prayer who pray with each other for each other. And lastly, the fourth thing is fellowship. Fellowship. Now, fellowship... If you've been in church, it's kind of like an old Baptist word. Doesn't it just sound like an old Baptist word? And some people then automatically don't like it. I love Baptists. Anyways, <laughs> fellowship, fellowship, isn't, fellowship isn't just a Bible word for hanging out or a Bible word for community. It is a term of substance. If we want to stay on the narrow road that leads to life, If we don't want our hearts to grow cold, we must have Christian fellowship in our lives. 
We must have Christian fellowship in our lives. There is priceless fellowship of mind, body, soul, and strength that happens when brothers and sisters digest the word of God together, eat together, take communion together, pray together. There are countless opportunities in your life to hang out with people and grow friendships. And that's amazing, and I like that. Sometimes I talk about this to people like, you don't want to be friends with anybody, do you? And I'm like, no, I love friendship. I love friends. I love you. I want to be friends. I like friends. Playing is fun. I like to play. There are, and there are countless opportunities to play and be friends in this life. That is good, and I'm all for it. And I encourage life groups to be friends. That is awesome. But friendship is not the same as fellowship. Friendship is amazing, and we all need friendship. But it is meaningful, spiritual, Christian fellowship around Jesus and his word. That is what is going to, be help, that's what is going to help you to stand firm against the attacks of the enemy and stay awake as we all look towards the day of the Lord. Fourth, our fourth rule of life is corporate gatherings. Fourth element of our rule of life as disciples of Jesus is corporate gatherings. So that's what this is. We are are committed as a rule of life, as a practice and a rhythm to come together as the possession of Jesus to worship him, to be together, and to come under his word. Obviously, that happens most frequently here on Sundays. We've got lots of other stuff we do throughout different times of the year, prayer times, worship nights. We've got Kingdom Conference coming up against this fall, coming up again this fall. I don't know if that's been announced yet, but we're doing it. I've been gone, so I don't even know when it is, but it's happening, and it's going to be awesome. So we do, we do all kinds of things together. We do things together corporately. Like the Bible says, as disciples of Jesus, we are committed to him and to gathering together for the sake of encouraging, to, encouraging one another as the day of the Lord draws near. When we come together, we remember, oh yeah, I'm saved. I'm like trying to live for Jesus. Probably should have been nicer yesterday. Okay, this is a good reminder. This is awesome. And we remember, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. There's like other people who are passionately doing this. This is awesome. And we remember, oh, my life's not about me. We are here because we are his possession and we are coming to him soon or he is coming to us soon. And so I should live for him now. And we come together, we encourage each other, we urge one another on as we gather together as the people of God. And as we meet together, you should assume that you have a contribution to make to these gatherings. Just assume every time you come to church, there is something for you to do when it comes to our corporate gatherings. First and foremost, and obviously, and most basically, it matters that you're here. It matters that you're present. Aren't you glad the person next to you came to church this morning and it's not just you and me? Imagine how uncomfortable you'd be. I'm up here shouting just to you. And you're like, dude, I'm trying. Where is everybody? Why are you so angry at me? It matters that you're here. You are liked. And you matter. Your gifts matter. Your person matters. Your personality matters. Be here. Be present. Be hungry. Be engaged. It pulls other people along when you're engaged. We all need help jumping in the river 
But there are also needs and opportunities for serving each other and serving the Lord every time that you come here. We're, we're, we're just like, this is not like a show that we're putting on that's like perfectly clean and everything all the time. Like we're all here to contribute and work together so we can encourage each other because like Jesus is real and he's alive and I've got to come to church so that I can remember that like he's real and I'm saved. Praise God. And my life doesn't revolve around me. So I should serve you guys. That's like what we're going for here on Sunday mornings. That's why we do them. That's why we do them. And so you sh- I, I want to just encourage you, like, get on the host team. Get on the Antioch Kids team. Get on the worship team. Just assume, you've got something to do when you come. And it helps everybody. And also, it's like, this scares me, what I'm about to say. So if, it's, if you're like, wow, that was harsh, I didn't say it. <laughs> Jesus said, Jesus. Like, God incarnate in the flesh came one time in the flesh in one place i says i didn't come here to be served i came here to serve and so we come every week into the house of god into jesus's house as his possession let's not be people who just show up to be served i don't want to have that conversation personally in the end so i just it, there's a zillion awesome ways Jordan, we didn't talk about this, but so this isn't Jordan's fault, but I'm going to say this. I heard that we need more people to jump in on A-Kids. Some people jumped off, and that's great, and there's reasons for that. I'm not mad at anybody. I'm just saying, uh, if you're not serving any kids and you can, please go back and sign up after church today. Uh, we had our staff meeting today, and, they're like, and the A-Kids team said, we're starting a new unit today. And we're like, cool, what are they learning now? You know, it's like, which Jonah and the whale picture are they going to draw today? They're like, no, we're learning about the mercy of God. Like, oh, maybe you guys should just come and do it on stage because my message is going to be lame compared to that. I'm just saying, if you want to make disciples, get on the A-Kids team. And if you don't want to come into God's house, who he came to serve just to be served, come on a team. Help each other out. That probably made somebody mad, but I love you so much. Okay, moving on. Last thing. Ah, oh, snap. Last thing. Life on mission. This is our fifth rule of life. We live our life on mission. We are committed to living our life on the mission of God. We are his possession, so therefore we are alive to be a part of his thing. We're here for his purposes, his kingdom, his will. God has put you where you are in life. Your family, your spouse, your kids, your neighborhood, your job, your city, this time, here, now, and it's not on accident. He wants to fill you with his own very spirit so that you with all of us so that we can participate in being witnesses to him, to all people in all places and all nations. And that's pretty cool. This is who we are. This is the best thing I've got to share with you coming back from sabbatical. If you're wondering what this church is about, what's Andrew excited about coming back from sabbatical? I'm excited about Jesus. I'm excited to be his disciple. I'm excited to urge you with my entire life, as long as he has me as pastor of this church, walk in a manner worthy of being called a disciple of Jesus. Let's do this. That's what I'm excited about. You and me, let's do this. Because this is who we are. This is who we are. This is us. We, the church, are his possession. And these things are our rule of life. 
It's how we mobilize ourselves and each other into living this thing out. It's how we stay focused and we remember every day, we do not belong to the world. I do not belong to this place. I do not belong to the flesh. I do not belong to the devil. I am no longer a slave to sin and I am not anymore bound to death. I am free and a bond servant of Jesus Christ. I am both free perfectly and eternally and I am his possession. He owns me. He bought me with a price. He obtained me. I am his. We are his. We are unified with him in his death and his resurrection and we are united together as one in baptism by the Holy Spirit. What am I excited about? I'm excited to just urge you. This is not some heavy burden to chase so that you have something to prove to God or me because I'm the pastor. This is the easy yoke of Jesus Christ. To walk with him step by step because I've said it before and we should say it every time we get together and I need this reminder every single day, Jesus is real. He's real. All of this is true. He is alive and your life, your little short life matters so much and it's so short. It is not that much longer. It is not that much longer in these bodies that are wasting away. Time is ticking by and we're either going to see him soon or he's coming back to take eternal possession of all things. And so let's do it now. Let's go now. In every way that you are walking in this manner, keep it up. Let's keep going. And in whatever way that it is that you need to grow, and we all need to grow, do it. Do it. Let's do it together. Would you stand as we end our time together? We're going to have our prayer team up here at the front. If you need prayer for anything in your life, if you need help responding to something God's stirring in you, if you need a miracle, if you need to give your life to Jesus, please come on up as we worship together. Let's all present our hearts to the Lord in these final minutes and consecrate ourselves as doers of the word, not just hearers. Holy Spirit, what is it that you're leading us in together? We consecrate ourselves to you right now, this church, as your possession. It's who we are individually, it's who we are together, and it's an honor and a joy. Would you lead us in the power of the Holy Spirit and in Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship together.